so today I was having a great morning, you know, up early. And then the worst thing happened. Every story starts like that. It's like, it was so great. And then. <laughs> but it, it, this happens to everyone. I'm, I'm almost sure of it. In fact, I am. As soon as I came over, this happened to you. But I, you know, I made my coffee. I finished teaching my classes early. And I'm about to take that first glorious sip from my coffee. And a fly buzzes by my face. So did you chase just, it down like a cat or did you just like let it oh, land the Oh, I went and... full tactical mode. I couldn't get to him. You know, I, I had all the lights on so I could see where he's at. Then I, then I like dimmed the lights out. I didn't have, a, I don't have a fly swatter anymore. Isn't that, is that a crime? You need one of these USB things like I have over here. The, the, I, those scare me. The little zappers. That's yeah. like, the little, looks like a, a tennis racket. But then when you turn them on, you, you know, that, that scares me a little bit. That's have too Have you much. ever seen the YouTube video with the girl torturing her boyfriend with one? Yes, and I don't want to show my wife that because I, I'm worried that that might happen to me. My favorite part about the video is when she talks about removing the protective screen to make it more electrocuty, quote unquote. That's that's borderline abuse. I love it. <laughs> well, I'm here, so let's get started. Let's do it. Welcome to the podcast, Neighbors Don't Knock. The show where two neighbors drop by for conversations that are fun, relevant, and downright hilarious. Join them and special guests in their mission to talk about anything and everything and laugh about it no matter what. Now, here's your hosts, Brian Chambers and Philip Goffrey. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Neighbors Don't Rock. That's right. I said Neighbors Don't Rock. No. Neighbors Don't Knock because we rock. Well, you rock. No, you rock. I roll. You <laughs> We rock and roll. I, I don't know. It's, it's so exciting. That's a special episode. So thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully you guys loved our season finale and all of the special guests we had in season two. Go back and check out those episodes or even go back and check out episodes from season one. We've had phenomenal guests, but we are celebrating Memorial Day. Woohoo! We made it. We made it to Memorial Day, man. Yeah, that's kind of a little victory in and of itself, isn't it? Like every week that's gone by during this crazy year and a half, it's like, wow, it's another, it's another milestone. weekend. <laughs> like one week at a time, right? We just, is that how we measure our, our months now? It's like, are we, or have you always measured them by holidays? So I know some people, it's like, oh, if I get to 4th of July, then I, you know what I mean? Because as adults, we don't have summer vacation and we don't have these you know, big breaks, winter break. You're just opening it up for me to quote the Fast and the Furious and talk about one quarter mile at a time. I, I can't help it. You know, uh, I'm just picturing. I, oh. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I really didn't. I should have. I walked right into that. You did. You just teed it up. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I lob things sometimes and they just get slammed right back at me. That's why I never played volleyball. Well, it's true. We have made it to Memorial Day weekend of 2021, and this is going to be a special episode for me. I have somebody joining us as a uh, esteemed guest from New England, a gentleman that I grew up with, and I'm super, super happy about it. So I think we should just get right into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, let's, let's go for it, man. Let's introduce our guest. So our guest today is Mr. Russ Kimes III. He is a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, having served in Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003 with the 1st Marine Expeditionary Force. I got that correct, I think. 1st Force Service Support Group as the Battalion S2 Intelligence NCOIC, which I learned today is the non-commissioned officer in charge, having been honorably discharged in 2008 with the rank of sergeant. During his time in the Corps, Russ was also a member of the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve Pistol Team, the Weapons Training Battalion, Quantico, VA, and he was an instructor trainer at the USMC Primary Marksmanship Instructor School. That, it's that, one that's heck. a mouthful. No kidding. I picture one of these Hollywood uh, you know, guys showing up, 65 years old, with like so many medals, he's like hunched over from the weight, you know? That's how I, I was my totally buddy picturing someone different, though. I, I was picturing that Nick Nolte type of guy from Tropic Thunder that shows up, you know, hey, uh, <laughs> I'll teach you guys what real work is about. <laughs> oh, hell, Chewbacca. <laughs> well, on top, on top of his time as uh, in the armed services, Russell was also a third generation lifelong resident of my hometown, New Canaan, Connecticut, and he's a volunteer assistant chief of the New Canaan Fire Company, number one which he has been a member of for 22 years. And that's pretty outstanding since Russ is my age. 
We're yep. both we're both 40 years old. It's kind of amazing. Half his life right there, man. Indeed. Ross was appointed the emergency management director for the town last summer. He is responsible for the municipality's emergency planning, coordination, and operations in partnership with town agencies, as well as the State of Connecticut Department of Emergency Management and Homeland Security and federal agencies such as FEMA. This guy, I don't know how he has time to breathe. So without further ado, Russ, buddy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us today. Hey. A tremendous pleasure. Welcome to the to, show, uh, Russ. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry that uh, I'm disappointing you by not looking like Nick Nolte, but I do have a short haircut still from my <laughs> no, time. No, before, I, so. I like, I, I think you look better than Nolte. I would be a little scared if you showed up looking like Nick Nolte. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I can't even rib you on that one, Russell. I agree. You do look better than Nick Nolte. I will give you that. <laughs> Without any hesitation, I will give you that. Russ, I have read some seriously long bios on our show over the past two seasons. Wow, man, your bio is a mouthful. Well, I, I'm sorry uh, it was as long as it was, but, uh, you know, we tried to make it the relevant points. Well, it's been a, first it's been of a all, fun ride. no, first of all, Russ, I, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your service. Absolutely. I was going to say the same thing. You know, thank you for it being that long. That is incredible. I, I mean, the, I the laundry list, I shouldn't even say laundry list because it's not. The, the fact that you put in so much time to do all these things, I mean, a volunteer not, not on, on top of serving and everything else and family and what you do. So thank you, first of all, because I think that's one of the joys about Memorial Day weekend and, and where we can honor vets. But I mean, I think that we should be honoring you guys all the time. But again, life happens, right? So but today it, it's about you guys. No, and, and in particular this weekend, it's about uh, the fallen, right? I mean, the Memorial Day is, this, is, you know, there's two days. There's Veterans Day, which is the celebration of those who serve and those who are, you know, still with us. And Memorial Day is, you know, a bit more the somber one, right? It's remembering those who died in combat, in theater. Um, and it's not the, you know, the kick off the summer barbecue uh, party, although absolutely we should celebrate their lives and everything else, uh, you know, respectfully. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride. Uh, and, you know, I think that, the, I started the fire service before I was in the military, um, but uh, I think that that sense of service it continued. And 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 by when I left the Marines, I was still in the fire department, and it is it's part of my life. You know, giving back uh, it gives a lot of meaning. I think to uh, your life. You know, not to say that my regular paying job is it's a wonderful paying regular job, but uh, if you know, there's a lot to be said versus you know doing spreadsheets and data and stuff like that. To, going out there and actually, you know, dealing with car accidents and car fires or in the case of the Marine Corps serving the country. Uh, and, how do you, and how do you possibly level. have time for a regular paying job? <laughs> I have a full-time job. In fact, uh, it, it's gotten a little better since I don't have to commute to the city full-time, uh, you know, since no one's going anywhere. Although I think we're going to be getting back to that somewhat shortly. I'm sure but, we uh, are, but it's like talking to Tony Stark, man. It's like, how do, how did you have time to build that? I, I don't understand it. It's yeah. Just... But I don't have the billions of dollars or the, uh, the fleet of Audis that were sponsored for those Marvel movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, well, I bet you had the same lack of sleep though. Uh, you know what? I sleep like a baby. I, you know what? I think this it's funny when you say this, you know, I, I sleep wonderfully because I think I go to bed knowing that, you know, you're doing good things. Right. I think that that inner peace is an important, important part of my life. I think it's what you know, gets you through the tough times and everything else is knowing that you're contributing and, and helping other people in that way. I have a question for you because you mentioned, you know, the desk job and things like that, but you're dealing with things that have very difficult outcomes and situations that you're dealing with. Is it nice to go back to the desk job every once in a while just to feel, you know, a little bit of calmness or just for yourself? Or, or do you like more of that chaotic, uh, you know, or lively action? I think they both bring their own, you know, unique rewards. Uh, the desk job uh, is great because, you know, large projects, large teams, very, comp very complicated. And I get to work with incredibly smart people. There is something very different, um, sometimes more visceral, of course, I think you, uh, you could expect, but with the, especially with the fire service that uh, you, uh, I guess I'm wired that way. I, I kind of enjoy the, that tension that, uh, that, you know, that, that those moments where you have to make big decisions in short periods of time. We're a small town. Don't get me wrong. We're not, you know, we're not having a fire every day like New York City. My hat is off to the big cities and what they do. Um, but yeah, I, it's the, that family feeling, I think that, um, brotherhood, sisterhood, that, that 
fraternal, the military had that. I'm still friends with the people I went to Iraq with in 2003. And the closest thing I found is, is the, the firehouse, right? It's that, it's that same family. It's the people that you eat, you break bread with, you, you, you know, you sleep overnight in the headquarters with. And I think that's the closest I found it, which is why I, I, I'm still doing it and love it so much. Is there a, is there a pole, a fire pole in your firehouse? There is. Yes. Our, is, it, uh, our is, it, is it used? Do you guys uh, use it or is it just for show? occasionally it is used no it's uh it's funny our building was built like 1910 i want to say when fire trucks were a little smaller um uh, just <laughs> gone away from horse-drawn uh just a to, little smaller just a skosh um so there is a problem if you go down the fire pole and our rescue is where, where it's parked if you don't if you go on the side of the pole towards where you would go through the door uh your butt will end up on top of the rescue and you will definitely hurt yourself because as i said everything's just gotten bigger so it's a little crowded now but ah, we do have one we okay have one. for for halloween do you guys get dressed up as ghostbusters and, and go down the, <laughs> the pole <laughs> no we keep it simple although uh phil will tell you that uh, i i had hol- halloween parties for years uh, and uh i the rule was for all my friends in, in the service military or fire cops whatever they could not wear their work uniforms because that is cheating <laughs> there's no creativity there I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. You know, if I were in the firehouse, I have to admit to Brian's uh, question about Ghostbusters, I would have to have a recording of that scene. And every time the bell's going, we got one. <laughs> <laughs> Just blast it over the loudspeaker. Do, do one of those boomerangs, someone going down and, and posted, you know, you're just going up and down, do those boomerang pictures going up and down the fireball. That's disturbing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess I could see now what, now I'm picturing it in my, my head. That is disturbing a little bit. <laughs> stroking the pole (laughs) so russ we're already jumping around a little bit here let's give our listeners a little bit of background as i said in the introduction russ and i uh, grew up together we knew each other in middle school but really we didn't become friends until more of the high school age when i had already moved on to a different school oh i'm sorry russ yeah, I <laughs> tortured him. You know, we it, it's amazing. We weren't hanging out at the Dunkin' Donuts in Wilton. That was, uh, yeah, that was about the extent of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so small town, small town Connecticut. You know, it's sort of, it's sort of like uh, any scene from like all the greaser movies and whatnot. Basically, our nights consisted of getting together in parking lots. We were all into cars, so we had that mm-hmm. to bond over. Doing bad things as teenagers always do, little rebellious stuff, right? Finding cigarettes and things like that. But inevitably, putting stickers on our cars, putting stickers on cars, removing oh, window God. tint in the middle of the night in the parking lot. You know, we did all kinds of, of silly things. But the, the vast majority of our time was actually spent sitting around in diners. We would just spend hours and hours and hours over coffee and bad eggs in diners for all hours of the night, just talking with these huge groups of people. The same stuff happened in the South. It, it's just it's what you did, right? We didn't have diners, but we had Whataburger. Of course. I mean, they're we, billi- we didn't do parking lots. We did fields with trucks. Indeed. They're, 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 <laughs> you know, it's like, I think it's just that mentality of what the hell do we do? Yeah, there's a, re- <laughs> there's a reason why this shows up in like Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen lyrics on a regular basis, right? That's just what kids did. I don't know if well, that's it gets the you same. out of the house. It, you know, it gets you out of the house. And, you know, we, it, I, in hindsight, the amount of coffee that we consumed in a short period of time, it's amazing none of us didn't blow or have some sort of major cardiovascular issue it is amazing um, isn't an 85 it? Cent gallons like bottomless gallons cup or whatever at the diner that, right that's exactly what it was 85 <laughs> cents waiters bottomless because so we'd order like one thing and then just keep getting coffee and oh, never that leave poor waitress that poor waitress they didn't even ask you to get like some pie some some homemade pie they stopped trying to upsell us after the first few months that was they <laughs> wow they went out. they went a few months wow. they did like a week and then we're just it's like, new england what? they're hardcore i don't know if Kids these days do the exact same thing with the advent of social media and their ability to connect digitally. We didn't have that. So we're talking about the mid-90s here. So the extent of our ability to communicate digitally was AOL and Messenger in its, in its infancy, ICQ in its infancy. But we didn't really use that in terms of feeling like we were together. No, you had to like coordinate before you went somewhere. And then if you lost half of everyone, then you would like, oh, where's everyone else? We're going here. And then the people that showed up late were like, where the hell is everyone? Oh, they went here. It was like a train of things just going to places. Exactly. And, and if you were trying to find someone and they didn't show up where they were supposed to be, you didn't know where they were. You'd have to call their house or you'd call the bar wherever they would go. Do you remember a time when people used to call bars looking for people? That it's <laughs> that was a time in our lives that we've just forgotten. What, what was that? What was that joke in the, in the Simpsons that they used to? 
Oh yeah, uh, well, you know what I'm um, talking about uh, the prank calls. The prank calls. Yeah, He'd prank call Moe's. It, it, it was is a oh, huge, huge ass. Is Hugh is Hugh huge ass here? Yeah. Is there I'm a guy? looking for I'm Seymour. Looking for a, I'm looking for a huge ass. Seymour, Seymour butts. <laughs> Seymour yeah. butts here. Seymour butts here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was cell phones just came out. Like I think just came out. Some of and then it ended up some of us had Nextels and just irritated the shit out of each other with. Oh beep, God, beep. the two way walkie talkie thing. Yep. And then if you didn't answer, it could sit. You could ha- literally have someone's phone make noise until they acknowledged it. <laughs> we had CB. We put a couple of us had CB radios. I, in our, I had yeah. one of those in my truck. Yep. I yep we had CB radios. One in the, in the Pontiac Grand Am. I put one in the, nice. in the Grand Am. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time, Russ. I'm sure that you knew this, but the truckers can actually see the power of the frequency that's coming in from other CB radios. So they would know that when we were chatter chatting away on these CBs, that we were at some civilian in some little itty bitty car with some crappy like. Fake, half antenna that's yeah like a little yeah. <laughs> fake cell phone antenna that you would stick on right they would go through the glass and and they would always just be so pissed that we were wasting their time you know you don't think they realized that it was the three cars driving two feet from each other pretending to row like they were in a boat on a highway <laughs> oh you you guys did not or the the, <laughs> the head the head out the sunroof <laughs> driving by oh my you know what if social media was around if instagram or tiktok or anything those would be brilliant it's so funny that people that do stuff like that now are like, oh, this is so original. No, no, no. People have been doing oh, that long before you guys did. The antics. In fact, uh, we, we've had Brian Loro on the show before, who is also a close friend to, to Russell as well as myself. Um, Russ, I'm sure you remember this. My, my favorite one that the three of us used to do is we would recline the driver's seat, the backrest, all the way down so it was laying almost flat against the back seat, and then hold ourselves upright drive up alongside of somebody on the highway, and then, whoa, fall backwards all of a sudden. <laughs> we used to have people crying. They were laughing so hard. I just, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun because it was road, phenomenal road trips, which I, I loved. I mean, I vividly remember going up to Ithaca College to see Phil. Actually, my, my favorite memory about those road trips to and from upstate New York to Connecticut is the time that I was driving down from Ithaca to Connecticut, and I'm approaching the toll booth, the only toll oh, booth God, on the, the entire New way. Bridge. Just and I wave at the camera. Didn't, I didn't pay. I realized I had no cash. And, yeah, it's, it's and I, you know what? I saw where this was going before you. You said toll booth. I'm like in college. I was like, oh, I know where this is. Well, going. Okay, so so here I am, college age. I realize that I have no cash whatsoever. And you think, okay, well, you just go up, you talk to them, they fill out a little form. Yeah. See, the problem is, I may or may not have a suspended license at the time in New York State. Oh, the truth. The truth. The fuzz, of the matter they is, call the fuzz on you. The truth of the matter is, I didn't know if my license had been suspended or not due to a little misunderstanding with some parking tickets. So you didn't want to roll the dice. Small misunderstanding. Small misunderstanding. I didn't want to roll the dice. So I called Russ and I said, "Hey, uh, I need a dollar." And Russ goes, "Great, where, where are you?" I said, "Well, I'm on the way down from New York." What? I said, "Can you come meet me and give me a dollar? I don't have money An hour for the toll away. booth." Wow, and Russ, that's Russ, a God good friend you. right there. A dollar for an hour—that—that's at night too. It was late. It was if in I the middle of the correctly. night. Yeah, and Russ, God bless you, buddy. You came up, you met me, and gave me a dollar so I can get to the toll booth. And in hindsight, I mean, you could have probably just gone to any gas station and picked up enough change to make that work. I mean, I like how the logic sits in now. <laughs> it, it, it's like, well, I could have. Oh yeah, I don't know. We were, we were what? We were twenty. You could have also old. taken like one of seven other bridges that didn't have a toll, but you know. I, I think I thought about that. Maybe it's just I it's, didn't know Buddy, it's never too late. It very well could be I just didn't know where to go, right? There's no GPS. I didn't have a smartphone. No, you had the extra maps and if you were fancy you had the laminated one. Remember Ross, those? O- only you had the laminated maps, buddy. You're the only you one. You had a laminated map? Yeah, that, that's pretty impressive. Right with the- yeah. That's actually pretty smart, actually. Because I used to in the side, you know, right in the door, they have the little compartment right on your door. I used right. to have maps in there all the time because, you know, no, no cell phone, GPS or whatever. You had to figure out your route. But that's actually brilliant because I went through a couple of those because I was unfolding them, folding them. They just got to, they just tore it was, the crap. It was like a nice book. And, and why is it that I can't remember simple things today? But I remember that New Canaan was map number 16 in the Hegstrom Guide. I mean, why does the brain do that? It's so frustrating. I actually love <laughs> when you he- want it to work. I love hearing that you remember stuff like that because since since you are a volunteer firefighter <laughs> and and you remember the most trivial things, that makes me feel better because I wouldn't remember stuff like that. <laughs> so that's what's so interesting when we're we're 
you know, being wayward kids, just kind of wandering around and spending hours and hours driving our cars or hours in these diners, the whole time, really, Russ was already volunteering with the New Canaan Fire Department. I've got a question about it, though. You know, you never really tried to recruit any of us. And, and I really re- appreciated that because it would be so easy. You think about high school age, you're doing something that's so selfless. And, and frankly, we're all geeky and we like adventure. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that goes along with the training and the experiences. I, I, I want to thank you, actually, for not kind of pushing it on people. You just sort of let people organically find it. And, and if they wanted to do it, they could do it. How did that feel for you? Did you feel when we were teenagers, like you wanted to get more people involved or did you really recognize that you just had to kind of do your own thing and let people find their own path? Uh, when I was there, I was young. I was a new, you know, proby member of the fire company. So I was learning myself. Right. And I was still new guy. I wasn't, you know, in any position of seniority. So I obviously told a lot of stories about how much I love doing it. Um, perhaps I felt bad because I got Brian and Loaf. Uh, Loaf is another one of our friends. Um, oh, we, will, we've talked name, about we've talked about Loaf yes, on this. That name will live forever. <laughs> <on> the <this> show. <laughs> He'll be in a retirement home somewhere in Florida, and it will have on his door Loaf. <laughs> so you know, I think they, maybe I felt bad that I got them into the AV club uh, at the high school. So, <laughs> uh, but no, you know, I got into it. Um, actually, my, my father was one of the founders of the ambulance corps, the volunteer ambulance corps in our town. Um, so as a kid, I spent time, you know, stay in the car <laughs> and he'd go do EMT things. And I was fascinated by it. Um, I had no interest in doing EMT work, putting people together and dealing with all that, which is funny. Now, many years later, I ended up becoming an EMT, uh, rode with the EMS in town here and still have EMT certification. And it's wonderful. I love doing it. Um, but yeah, it was from a friend in high school that wasn't out of our group of friends. It was just a fellow nerd <laughs> who was a couple of years senior me in high school, uh, you know, got me into it. And then I never looked back since senior year. Uh, I've been involved since. I mean, I had some breaks, obviously, <laughs> overseas, <laughs> uh, boot camp, some other things, but uh, ever since I've still been an active member. I have two questions. Philip mentioned that he would actually have done it, or I know how dedicated he is when he puts his mind to do something. Do you think he would have survived? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm picturing some things that, that you wouldn't want to do. I tried to get him to say, let's go scuba diving or get on a boat, which is totally different than volunteering for the fire department. But there's lots of different situations that you never know. And I'm just, I know Philip's dedicated, but I was just kind of curious, which also leads me into the second question. How rigorous is the training? As a volunteer, obviously you need to be put through something, but is it close to the training that actual firefighters and fire cadets, is that, is that the correct terminology? go through yeah yeah so there are so i guess to, to answer a couple of questions i'm gonna start with one which is uh, making fun of phil um, <laughs> i love it uh no i think phil would have done a wonderful job and i wish he had the opportunity to do it down in houston now um but you know it's uh would it be fun to see phil in some of the more um interesting perhaps gruesome scenarios to see how we would react uh i think he would handle it fine you know i've seen phil uh, when, as you said, when Phil puts his mind to something, he, he, he is dead set on it. And uh, I can think of plenty of times where um, we were teenagers and um, doing stupid things and perhaps law enforcement got involved and he didn't lose his cool. So I think he'd be fine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I, 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 may not, I may not have respected authority back then like I do today, but I think I always held my own pretty well with them. I will say this to, to Mr. Chambers' point over here. I would... I don't wish uh, anybody ever have to run into a burning building. And Russ, I know that you have. Oh, absolutely not. That's an amazingly uh, brave and terrifying thing. And I'm glad that you have dedication and training to make sure you can do that and, and still walk out and do your job. I would much rather, for the record, run into a burning building than go scuba diving. I just want to throw that out there <laughs> Interesting. right okay. now. Uh, right, you know, I, I'm seeing some wheels turning, some ideas for some new videos coming up this yeah. season now. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think I would rather run into a building than get on most airplanes. And I do quite a lot of flying in my life. But it's, uh, it's just, you know, certain things don't fit in my personality. And underwater is one of them. Phil, you'd love the, uh, the CS chamber training that we do in the military, uh, the, which is the gas chamber where they use uh, CS gas and they literally make you unmask. It's part of the learning how to don and doff the mask. Is that the tear gas stuff where you, take, you, have, gas, to, you yeah. have to break the seal and then you have to be in there and you have to like say your rank, you, like you say your rank and name for yep. a certain amount of time, put it, but I, I've seen people come out. I saw videos of that 
and people come out like vomiting or like their eyes are tearing up or they, you know, this is like, they're, they're like stumbling out. Is it really that intense? With, without attempting to be so graphic as to um, horrify your audience, uh, the amount of mucus that a human body can produce in a short period of time is staggering. Let's just uh, <laughs> say wow. that. Wow, uh, that is, was very really eloquently visceral. put. <laughs> that was it's, very eloquently put. It's visceral. Uh, it's the best way to describe it is, is that, um, and I've never experienced anything else like it, when you breathe in uh, something like that, especially if it's a high concentration, you, it's as if you're, it burns and it's as if your brain doesn't register that there's oxygen in it. So you feel like you're suffocating and it hurts like hell. And then you, your knee-jerk reaction, kind of like drowning, is to draw another breath because you don't think you have oxygen. You do, but it's just it's, it's not fun. And then once you get out, the, it's, you know, the, the way that it works is there are little tablets and they burn them with a candle. And it really sees these little flakes that go all through the room. They stick to you. So you go out and you've got to get the, you've got to, you got to pat yourself off and get it off of you. So, you know, you touch your eyes with your hands. <laughs> Welcome back to the, uh, the suck again. <laughs> um, Welcome it's back to the suck. <laughs> is, that, is that the motto? <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually had, there's a funny patch that they call them a motivational patches, which they're actually demotivational, which is the, you know, the fun suck meter. And it's always pointing to the red of suck. <laughs> um, now, now what's but, the point? What? What's the point of that, of the, the gas training? When I enlisted in 2000, it was before 9-11 happened. It was before anything like that had occurred. I, I enlisted in the Marine Corps because I knew that I wanted to, A, be in a branch where the people who were next to me were as well-trained as could be and were trained to fight in some form of capacity. Not every branch, you know, people learn the very basics of uh, infantry or at, at a very minimum marksmanship, right? Marine Corps takes marksmanship incredibly seriously. And I wanted someone who was a little crazy next to me because that's kind of what you want. Uh, if you're in a combat environment and I wanted to go somewhere, you know, I wanted to serve my country somewhere overseas. Um, I ended up in the reserves because I was already in a job and looking towards a career path uh, with law enforcement, which didn't end up doing. And then 9-11 happened. Uh, I ended up actually with a small group from New Canaan Fire actually going down and working uh, on 9-11. Uh, the second day was on 9-12. We ended up down there working on the towers, uh, basically, you know, bucket brigade. There wasn't anything that really we could do. But then 2003 happened and we deployed to Iraq and the first month we were there, you know, you get everything ready. Then there's the point where we invaded. Right. I think everybody probably remembers George Bush giving the Saddam get out, you know, this is your warning. And then shock and awe happened. We're sitting in Kuwait, uh, you know, ready to go over the border. And uh, right after that happened and, you know, all the Tomahawk missiles fly over your head going into Iraq. Uh, they launched back Scud missiles, rocket systems, things like that. And the big concern was because, you know, in 2003, the feeling was is the weapons of mass destruction and chemical weapons and biological weapons were in Iraq. Every time one of those things came in, it was a big concern. It was a big concern that it had some sort of chemical or something like that. So suddenly that annual CS gas training that we did with the gas mask became very poignant. You wake up at one o'clock in the morning. And it was every hour that night after it started, they'd launch rockets at our sites every hour on the hour. Uh, I guess it was the amount of time it took for them to reload. And you'd stumble out of bed and you're, you know, basically in your skivvies, your, you know, t-shirt and shorts, grab your rifle and your, uh, your mask and run out of the big circus tents we were sleeping in and dive into a hole that we had dug a couple months prior. Um, that was the bunker, right? And as soon as you got in there, you'd hear the gas, gas, gas. And that was when close your eyes, stop breathing, and blindly put this mask on as quickly as you can. They say you get seven or eight seconds. After you had the mask on, you have rifle in hand, you're hanging out in your, your, your boxer briefs or whatever you're wearing and your t-shirts. Did you have combat material in there that you would then change into to be prepared for, for the coming next situation? Or was it more wait the gas out, then get back to where you can stage? So, uh, and it's been a bit, but we received, uh, we received gear called uh, MOP gear, Mission Oriented Protective Posture Gear. Basically, it's a ski jacket. Yeah, Phil's eyes just exploded there. We were making fun uh, in our, our mic check before this about acronyms and the use of them in the military. It's their favorite thing in the world. So yes, MOP gear, the reality was, is, you know, to put that on in the amount of time, potentially if something had gone off right next to you, it's not, probably not a great odds, but it was better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's mask first for survival, then maybe yes. shoes. Respiratory first, <laughs> and then respiratory system first, protect your airway so that you can continue to breathe and function, and then put on the rest of the, uh, the ensemble. If, you know, the NBC guy, which is nuclear, biological, chemical, whoever that person was, said, we're going mop level X. 
And now it's called Seaburn, if you want to go down acronym town, chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, and explosive. I would fail that. I would fail the acronym test. Oh my goodness! I'd, ha- I, I'd have to have flashcards. I'd be my gas mask looking for my flashcards. I don't wait, know what they just said. Wait, wait, who, who's that guy? <laughs> I imagine. I imagine when it's life or death, you learn pretty quick. So you can imagine, but you can imagine that was the moment, and that was the first time I was legit, you know, scared. Right? Like we'd been there for a while, and that was the first time where it, I legitimately got concerned for my well-being because you know, Patriot missiles go flying over your head to intercept these things, and fragments of whatever the heck it was would land all over the base uh and you're putting on a gas mask and hoping to hell that something bad isn't around you and russ you like me you have uh corrective eyewear were you able to wear contact lenses in combat or do you have to wear those big old glasses and then put the mask over those here's another acronym for you are you ready hit me the, the 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 glasses that we had which if you've ever seen the glasses issued by the military look like they're from 1946 they're brown um very thick uh were known as bcgs birth control glasses because anybody who'd wear them would never get any ah, <laughs> that one i'd remember now that yeah. sounds like something the marine corps would come up with right there i like it did you have a, uh, did you context. have a nickname did you have a nickname uh, Intel ended up being mostly or, um, our monster dome, which Phil will laugh at because, uh, monster, I, I why monster large... dome? I, I'm now, I, you piqued my interest. Intel. I totally got inside. Intel, but monster dome. Oh, I'm dying over here. I would always get asked questions. When are we going home? Cause I was the, you know, the Intel Bubba, uh, which wasn't my training, by the way, I was not an Intel by training, I just, <laughs> I got picked in the billet. but, uh, I, I have a rather large um noggin courtesy of my father and his germanic heritage um and i was uh continually harassed in fact i I still seek counseling and treatment for the abuse that phil and mike and uh, others gave me in school i I jest of course um but there was a point where we were issued new camouflage gear in kuwait and uh, they were giving us the boonie covers you know the floppy hats and they could not find one big enough for my head and that was the point where someone in the back of the line went He's got a 10 gig drive in the back of that thing. That's Intel. Someone get the Monster Dome a new cover. So, yeah. Monster. You're welcome, you're welcome Phil. It, it I was saying, Intel's in kind life. of a cool name. I, I, I dig Intel, but when you get nicknamed Monster Dome, you're just like, oh, hell. I've just got so I married an axe murder just going on loop in my head now. <laughs> Head pants new. So I want to circle back in a little bit to the volunteer uh, firefighting that you've been doing. But while we're talking about your time in Iraq and, and your time in the armed forces, you know, I had the privilege of going down and seeing Russ graduate from Paris Island. So I got to hear all about the room with the gas and, and all of that. It was a very cool experience being down there to watch how that all works. And it became, Russ, for, for me, and I think for our friends who went down to watch you graduate, it became very real what you had decided to do. While you were down there, while you were doing the training, it was all, oh yeah, Russ is, you know, he's training for the Marine Corps. And it was, wow, it's cool, that's amazing. But it was really seeing the graduation ceremony, wow, this is, this is huge, and this is terrifying, and this is amazing, and we are grateful for you. Really, that's why I think we need to make sure we're celebrating the military as much as we can and tipping our hats, because we don't realize how much you guys really do, and how much training you go through, and the situations you have to be put in you guys are put in real life situations that I cannot even fathom, you know, the reality of that if I were in your shoes. So thank you. And I, I really appreciate you you going into detail with this. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's amazing when you think about the, um, the different branches of the military in particular. They're so similar, yet so wildly different between each branch, right? The Navy, you think, I mean, it's obviously a very large organization, but the traditional Navy, you think, of, you know, the open fleet on destroyers and things like that. I was on a ship for the Navy, with the Navy one time for like a day. So I have no experience whatsoever on blue ocean, open ocean, you know, what it's to be on a com- surface combatant. Um, my brother is in the Air Force or was in the Air Force, did it a lot in large number of years. He did three tours. He's, he's probably the one you guys should be talking to. Um, he did uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and then a undisclosed location in the Middle East. <laughs> you know, it's amazing the differences just to go. I did a drill at one of the Air Guard bases and it's just culturally different. Uh, not only that, but the mission profiles, but then the VFW take as an example, like my, the veterans of foreign wars, where all the old veterans go to drink beer for $2 and smoke cigarettes, <laughs> uh, is an organization across all the branches. And you start talking to people who are in combat theaters and it's like, it doesn't matter what branch they're in. It's the same stories. It's the same. It's as if you've known them your entire life. Uh, and it really is extraordinary. 
Uh, I haven't seen anything like it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is, that, you know, we say the, the mission of the Marine Corps is to find, close with, and kill the enemy, right? Uh, ultimately, the job of the Marine is to, to destroy the enemy. But the reality is, is that very, it also implies a willingness to give your life, right? For your fellow Marines first, the people that are next to you first, but ultimately your country and your, you know, your way of life and, and values. And that's really the, you know, what Memorial Day is about. You know, everybody says, oh, you're a hero for going overseas. I, I did what I thought was right. I'm proud I did it. I, I really am. It, it changed my life in so many positive ways. Um, but the people who are the heroes are the ones that didn't come home and the families, you know, that, that don't have them there anymore. So that brings me to a follow-up question about Memorial Day, because that's really the purpose of this episode is, is to celebrate that uh, in a way that, that is appropriate. And I'd like to ask a bit about that, if you don't mind. Sure. Do you feel, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Do you feel that the sort of uh, heart of what Memorial Day is has become a bit washed out and a bit lost at this point, or do you feel that it's still appropriately celebrated across the board? I know earlier in the show we mentioned the the hot dogs and things like that and a very July 4th sort of uh, tradition, but, but we're Americans, right? We like to grill outside. We like to grill hot dogs. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you think that people are taking the time in, in the younger generations, especially to, to try to think about what the day means? Or do you think that we could do better as a society in terms of holiday weekend, right? In terms of, in terms of, of, of helping reinforce the meaning of it. I mean, it's, it's a tough question because you see some incredible things, right? Like uh, I just came from this morning, um, a volunteer event where we have different groups in town uh, from Boy Scouts to uh, CERT team to the League of Women's Voter, the fire department, everybody else. And we put a, a flag on every single veteran's grave in New Canaan, over a thousand flags uh, at multiple cemeteries, ones in people's backyards. So there you see acts like that. They're incredible. Um, but then you see a parade, right? And everybody goes to the parade and they have a great time in the parade. And then they don't go to the service afterwards, which is the purpose of the parade is to go to the site where the you know, war fallen or interred and have a quick remembrance and honor them and honor their families. If, you know, they're still around, I think we could do better. I think that, um, you know, even, and I think the thing I would ask your listeners uh, and, and yourselves as well is as have the barbecue, have, enjoy the celebrate the beginning of summer. That's, that's an incredibly important thing. And especially, especially after what we've all been through the last year and a half, but take that moment to, raise a glass or to acknowledge it and say it publicly in front of other people so that they are aware as well, you know, and, and, and remember that. And, and then go back to, you know, celebrating it. Look, I'll be the first, I was the first one to tell uh, my friends and my parents, if, if, if I got schwacked overseas, I went out doing what I believed in and enjoyed and cared about. I, I like the Irish style funeral. <laughs> Everybody get hammered and talk about the good times and celebrate it. Um, so I think that it's, you know, I think that there's that balance, but I think we could do better. I think we could do a lot better. I, I love that you, you want, if that something happened to you, that's how you would want to, to be celebrated. I, I love that. I, I almost feel like that's how I would want to be celebrated the same way. You know what I mean? I'm with like, you guys. Like, like a, good, a good time, an uplifting. I mean, I, I know it's hard on situations like that. And uh, there's, a, there's always a balance. And, and actually, this kind of leads me into something I want to pick your brain about. Because I'm sure you know plenty of people who have served that didn't come home or that had something, you know, unfortunately happened to them. Were there situations like that that made things like that easier? Or is there a way as, as someone in the military that you guys, there's a do and don't list of this is how we, we need to treat something? I, I think that, you know, um, there's a, a reverence that comes from serving and in particular serving overseas that, you get a perspective that can never be explained, granted, taught, right? Um, I think that that's why a lot of times when you, 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 people are very nervous or very careful, and I think correctly so, about talking to veterans about their experiences overseas, right? Um, because everybody handles these things differently, and it's not right or wrong. So it's post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, is a real thing, um, and it wasn't recognized properly until relatively recently, you know? Uh, and then you think about this, the conflicts themselves. Um, we came back, we, we were one of the first units back from Iraq in 2003. And we, we, I mean, I felt, and I think everybody else felt that everybody went way overboard 
celebrating our return as a unit as heroes and banners and everything else and because you know compared to what veterans had gone through in vietnam um what veterans in particular in world war ii uh had gone through um my experience paled in comparison to them there were certainly those in iraq in 2003 though especially some of the battles like fallujah absolutely comparable my personal experience was not that you know wasn't that level of intensity of storming the beach at normandy it was still a war and you know you're still getting shot at so I think that, that there's that reverence. And the hardest part I think that veterans have is, and I think why they don't talk about it a lot, is that they, they have tried to explain it to people and fail. Um, and I think partially because people's attention span is short. You know, it's the old, you try to explain it and they just kind of, oh, okay, great. I don't really want to know the details and I don't want to get tied into this and move on to the next thing. Part of it is it's, it's almost impossible to describe some of the visceral things uh the nature of it and i think that's where the in my case the fire service and you know again we're a small department not a ton of stuff but when it happens it can be rather intense i find a parallel and then it's where i can find other people to talk in that sort of thing and that's why vfws exist right the vfw halls exist because there are people who've had similar experiences and can talk about it with each other is there is there somewhere that for any veteran veterans that are listening to our show right now is there somewhere that you recommend going for veterans uh, as far as if they have to talk to somebody or is it something that the military pretty much makes open makes every vet aware of well so the va does offer you know mental health services and everything else but it's uh, i'm not going to speak ill of the va i have not um leveraged their services myself i think i was fortunate um look i was fortunate I, the stuff that we saw and everything else that I haven't had issues with it and I'm not, I look, I'm here today and I, I have no qualms talking about my time overseas, but the VA does offer that. And it, look, I think that the good thing is, is that it's acknowledged nationally that it's, it's there. PTSD is there that, 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 that the difficulties people can have exists. Um, the downside is that, you know, I don't like to say that it's out there and it, I don't think it's prevalent, but there certainly are cases where, employers may look at someone as a veteran as almost damaged goods right like i don't know they might tweak out on us i'm not entirely sure and there are certain then there are other employers who want nothing but veterans and the you know, think of it as a good and, I'll, and another analogy i'll use is is i mean think of vietnam can you imagine the experience of someone who fought for their country especially if they got drafted they didn't even have a choice it wasn't voluntary like for us and then came home and got spit on and called baby killers and things like that that's why they're so i mean at least my experience in our post, so few Vietnam veterans in the VFW because they just want to get that chapter out of their life. As they're getting older and, and you know, starting to pass some of them, they're starting to open up now, uh, some, but that's, that's a lot. That's tough for somebody to deal with, especially when you put your all out there and you lose friends. And especially the, the biggest thing in combat, and I look, you, you could talk about it, every book, every story about it, um, and those uh, is that you take care of the person next to you. And I, I was, we were very fortunate. We didn't lose anybody in, in the first tour in our battalion. Uh, so, I, you know, I lost no friends when I was there. But I can't imagine that, you know, that feeling of losing someone that you've got that kind of a close bond with. Uh, and that, that has long-term impacts. All the more reason we should be respectful, you know, Memorial Day. I, again, celebrate the day and, and honor their service, but take that moment to realize the, the, the deeper implications of what they went through and what they, and in particular, those who didn't come back. All the way through high school, I don't particularly remember anybody making a big enough deal about what Memorial Day really is, right? It's just like, oh, the school year is coming to an end. We all want to get out of here. You know, we got finals to worry about. Go have a day off. See you on Tuesday. Or whatever, and I think that's a shame. I think that, I think that I would like to see the uh, the educational systems take a little bit more time giving this attention. But Russ, I'd like to talk to you about a little bit, if you don't mind. I know this is a little bit. Um, I mind intent. No, you mind? I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> you have you have a huge mind. I can see the skull around it. Taking <laughs> up the whole Zoom. Screen. Intel, there, man. <laughs> Intel. Uh, I, I've got a question about the nature of volunteering. If you'll indulge me. Yeah. So when it comes down to the armed services, uh, you you come from a family of vets, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my father was Air Force. He was in during Vietnam. Never deployed overseas. He was at a Strategic Air Command base, base as a JAG, a uh, Judge Advocate General, a lawyer, uh, and then uh, my I knew that uh, one. Ah, I knew that show. one. <laughs> Only yeah, because of the show. show. Yeah. The show. That's right. That's right. I just, just want to point that out. 
my father will be the first one to tell you that uh, in real life, Jags don't get to fly aircraft and all the other crazy stuff you see on that television show. Um, and then my grandfather, actually, I just put a, a, a new flag on his grave today, uh, was uh, Army Signal Corps World War II uh, Pacific Theater. Uh, he got out as a I think, colonel, lieutenant colonel. So yeah, third generation. Uh, do you guys butt heads? Do you guys butt heads as, as being in different branches? Uh, you know, is that is that a thing? If you're, well, you know, Navy, Air Force, I, I mean, I, I mean, there's like rivalries in football. The Army Navy game is really is a really big game that, uh, you know, for football and things like that. But is that a thing in your house? In my house, no. Um, I think you know, there's friendly uh, chop busting between my brother and I. Um, me saying he's in the chair force. Uh, him saying that uh, I eat crayons because uh, Marines are not known as the smartest creatures. But no, you know, nothing, no vitriol or anything between us. The uh, but in general, oh God, yes, there's a rivalry between the different branches. <laughs> but the old rule, you know, the old rule of thumb was is we'll beat the crap out of each other at a bar. But as soon as someone who wasn't in the military starts talking trash, all of the people, Just turn all on the them. veterans, turn on them <laughs> as they should, as they should. Well, and you mentioned your your father was was uh, in the EMS, raising right? EMT. Um, yeah, yeah. So, did you know at a young age that you were going to volunteer? Did you know that you were going to enlist? I knew I wanted to do military service, and I knew I wanted to do something in emergency services. Although uh, I, the fire department kind of happened by accident because no one in my family was a firefighter before me. You know, so. Um, the military, I knew I wanted to serve. I'd always been a military nerd. I always thought it was interesting. I loved air shows and things. It was what branch was the question. Um, I ended up with the Marines for the reasons I mentioned before. Um, a recruiter also, you know, put the, the razzle dazzle on it, which, you know, got me into it. Um, and I do vividly remember my father uh, when he heard that I went and signed a paper and was enlisted as a Marine. He said, are you stupid? <laughs> Uh, you realize that they that that's like they're they're the nutty crazy ones, right? They're the ones that you know the, the self propelled sandbags. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at the end of it, he was obviously proud, and, and you know he, he was there with you, obviously at the graduation. And you know, it's it's cool to see you bring a tear to your emotionless father's. Indeed, because <laughs> he's, he's a very very stoic individual. I've mentioned this on the show before, and and Russ, you and I have spoken about this before, but actually one of my very few regrets in life, and I have very, very few of them because I don't really believe in regrets, but one of my few regrets is that I didn't uh, serve as well. I, I, I often look back on having missed the opportunity to volunteer, and I talked about it with my family, and, and they talked me out of it, mainly because, as, as Russ can attest, when I was 17, 18 years old, I was not the most responsible person on the planet, and they were, I think, quite legitimately concerned you would have been I, a good uh, intelligence officer. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Or, or one of those calm guys, like with the with the packs. I, I could see radar. You, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could, I could totally see you as radar. <laughs> totally. But look, you take you take from it what you put into it too, right? I mean, there were a lot of people who they, they were just counting the days till they got out. <laughs> oh, they I, ima I imagine so. It. I imagine yeah, so. Cursing that recruiter's name. I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, they they must dazzle people. Like and you said, and, and once you are in, you're their property, right? Like it's 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 a, it's only exists in the military. It's not like at will employment where you can be like, all right, bye. I don't want to work here anymore. No, no, sign no. your life away, right? Again, USMC, you signed the motherfucking contract, so you're there. <laughs> so here's the question: Do you think that being an all volunteer military is ultimately the best way to go, or do you think that some of these countries, like when my wife is from in Russia, uh, Israel, Italy, Greece? where you have to do two years of compulsory service is a little bit the way, to, I don't know the way to put it. Is that the way to go? Or do you think the all volunteers way to go? Do you think we can do more in our system to teach some of the skills that you've learned by your service time? It's an exceptionally difficult question. And one I've thought about a lot because, you know, you get asked, ah, should we, should we force people to do two years compulsory service or should we say it? I tell you, I can go either way. Cause uh, having served with, volunteer people who wanted to be there well mostly people who wanted to be there so a couple of people who went for college benefits and then realized oh crap i'm going overseas um it meant that there was a different um attitude i guess that you know that they wanted to be there they signed up especially in the marine corps they signed up for a small difficult path to get to earn the title of a marine but the flip side is to your point the you know, the recruiters call it the intangibles, the things that you gain out of, you know, boot camps, part of it, but the entire life experience of being in the military and 
a structured chain of command and following orders. And, you know, you can't just tell somebody to kiss off. That doesn't work. I think that those are incredibly important skills that are very much lacking, right? Um, I think that, you know, our, we have a wonderful education system in our country, but some of those fundamental things like leadership, public speaking and discipline. I mean, it all really, a discipline is a big, a huge part of it, I think is missing to a, to a large extent with, you know, we learn a lot of great book stuff, but you don't really learn, you know, how to wake up, make your bed, go do PT in the morning and then get to work. <laughs> well, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, when you say discipline, because I, I know a lot of people, when they say, when you hear discipline, especially associated with schools and education, a lot of people, I would be willing to bet, go straight to physical punishment, you know, right. or or this harsh type of situation or, or coming down on someone or, you, you know, which that does not have to be the case. That doesn't equate to discipline. Structure, like you said, like having something and doing and making them stick to it is, is a good way to show that without having to have corporal punishment and all this other stuff. But I know when you say those words and you put them in the, the same sentence, People just flip out now. It's it's almost kind of comical to me. Well, discipline in that context, discipline in the context of it's a reaction to someone's doing something bad, right? Like you're disciplining them is different than I think the way that I'm meaning discipline. Discipline as an internal discipline, as in doing something because it's right, even if you don't want to do it, or doing something because it needs to get done, even though you don't want to do it. Uh, your bathroom looks like crap. You got to clean it up. Uh, I really don't want to do it today, but you know what? It's the right thing to do and push yourself. Your boss tells you to do something. You don't agree with it, but you know what? You got to get it done because it's for the betterment of the organization. You know that it's internal discipline, not a reaction to, you know, someone's wrongdoing or something. And, and I and love that. I think that that needs to be pushed out more now than ever personally. I think that transitions me quite nicely into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, Russ, because when you got back, so I know that you hold two degrees, right? You graduated from the Briarwood College with an associate's degree in criminal justice. Yes, a college, a very small college. Indeed. <laughs> and I know that you also graduated from the University of Connecticut and you got your bachelor's in political science and you graduated magna cum laude, yeah? Yeah, at UConn I did. At Briarwood, I barely got by because I didn't have good grades in high school because I had no discipline. So remind <laughs> me do homework. <laughs> remind me of the timeline quickly here. Did you get the associates before you enlisted? Yeah. Yeah. I got my uh, bachelor's in CJ and it was also part of the Marine thing is, you know, everybody who's a cop is a former Marine. And, you know, I was looking towards being state police or FBI at the time. Um, so yeah, I got my CJ at Broward. Yeah. The, that's actually an interesting thing. That's a little bit different down here than it is in New England. To, to, Russ is not kidding. I mean, every single state trooper that pulls me over back in the day everyone every single one of them is a marine all of them and believe which me, makes me laugh that you felt the need to mess with them <laughs> knowing that going into like knowing what could potentially happen to you i have fond this goes memories back to his parents trepidation about him enlisting remember that whole part indeed yeah. it does and i, I have <laughs> fond memories part. thank you very much of a lot of nice conversations i had whilst being served tickets on the side of a highway somewhere <laughs> Those were those were nice gentlemen <laughs> and ladies, for that matter. They, I, I, I had I had them all, uh, and they were never very pleased with me. You you come back, you do your your bachelor's, and at that time you were still serving. I was yeah, I was still in the reserves, and I was I got my bachelor's. I started it after I got back from Iraq, and I did like night and weekend classes while holding a job, and I got my bachelor's at twenty seven years old, twenty six years old, something like that. So I think it's safe to say that the vast majority of people that serve in our armed forces when they're when they're finished when they're discharged honorably they're done right they've they've done their time they've given their all they tend to have you know their family life and go on and get their careers just like you have i know that you're still at morgan stanley and you're the vp of human resources which is tremendous and i congratulate I'm a, you i'm a, a vp in For, human forgive resources. me you make a, it sound like i'm in charge of huge you know <laughs> well it's human resources so you are in charge of a huge number of people but but but, but forgive me okay so a vice president uh, of human resources at morgan and, and that's tremendous and i congratulate you in your career but all this time you still decide to go back and and rejoin the fire department that to me is absolutely, it's jaw-dropping. I mean, a huge hat tip to you. I'm, I'm so impressed that you're doing this. You're also, I know, volunteering your time at the racetracks up at Watkins Glen to do uh, firefighting and response up there, mm -hmm. which, which I personally kind of 
hope I had an influence in with growing up around my dad and the racing and, and all of that yeah. and being able to experience it. I think that's pretty cool. The nature of volunteering. How do you, you know, you're, you're so giving. Do you see this as something that people are still doing or are you just desperately trying to find people who are willing to give up some of their day to come help out? What's going on so, with volunteering right now? So nationally, um, volunteering is in the fire and EMS service. I mean, I could speak in particular to those, but especially to fire is very much on the decline. And it's been that case probably since the 70s. I mean, if you look from 1980, uh, there were 900,000 volunteer firefighters around in the country. Uh, and in just for, call it 2017, there were under 700,000. People are working longer hours. People are working multiple jobs because perhaps they're not earning as what they used to. The demographics, or I should even say the, um, um, the work-life balance of towns and the demographics of towns have changed, right? I think of New Canaan, our fire company was started in 1881. We were agrarian. <laughs> I would think we made shoes and hats, I think, and it was mostly farms. Indeed. Uh, now it is a very much uh, white collar commuter town, right? Everybody works in the city. And to try in our, in our own little microcosm to ask somebody who rides Metro North and gets on the 530 train who gets home at eight o'clock at night every single day to then go to the firehouse and do training for two hours and not see their wife and kids. It's just not feasible. Yeah, um, it's it's tough. I, I I could I can understand that. I mean, I I have multiple hats that I wear, and I'm with you. I I think there's there's times and things that I want to do and volunteer. And you know, for a, for a while, I used to volunteer at the Houston Zoo here in town. You know, and things just started happening, and you have to you have to prioritize sometimes. And unfortunately, that that becomes the case. Not because I'm with you. I I don't think it's a lack of people wanting to volunteer. I I agree with right. you. I think it's just that the world we live in now is just so chaotic and people have to wear so many hats. It makes it difficult for that. But, but there are people like yourself that are still doing it. And so I really hope that those people still continue. Well, Russ, educate me and, and our listeners a little bit here, because I know that when I still to this day, when I think of volunteering, with the exception of knowing you and being friends with you for this long, the first thing that pops in my mind is what Brian's talking about, like the zoo or a hospital or, a, you know, you volunteer to bring magazines to people that are cancer patients. And meals on wheels. Meals on like wheels, yeah. sure. Food banks, all that stuff. The first thing that pops in my mind is most definitely not EMT and firefighting and things of that nature. I think part of that is because I've been in Houston for quite a long time and we don't have the opportunity the volunteers, right. firefighters here in town. Now, there are suburbs and, and smaller towns outside of Houston where I know they do have volunteer. Yeah, I, I know. I'm pretty sure Sugarland uh, does that. They have volunteers because I had a friend that at least they used to a long time ago, a while ago when we lived indeed, out there. Indeed, yeah. Um, but Russ, do you think that there's a lack of understanding uh, and a lack of education out there about towns that are more uh, volunteer heavy or even all volunteer based for their first responders? I, I think that it's, it's a, there's a few factors in play. Um, organizations that are successful as volunteer fire, EMS, whatever, it's part of the town's culture or city's culture, right? You think of the, in particularly the rural where it's all volunteer, you don't even have what we have. We have a combination department of paid and volunteer together. Think of rural, you think of the, you know, the fair. The fair is run by the fire department there. That's their fundraiser or they have the, the tractor poles or the whatever else, right? That's, that is your rural America, which is the grand majority of fire coverage in this country, right? Um, the majority of firefighters are volunteers. Um, in our town, I think we're very fortunate in New Canaan because this is a town where people give back tremendously. Um, we get people who join that are 54 years old and work on wall street and want to be a firefighter. I think that in our, in our town, we do get a, we get a lot of young kids, you know, that are in high school and we're potentially exploring it as a career, or they want to do this because it's, it looks, you know, exciting. Um, I mean, let's be realistic. Driving a big red fire truck, lights and siren is a lot of fun. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a tremendously rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun to be a firefighter. And we try to keep it as entertaining as we can through activities and training and realistic, but, um, but yeah, so it, it definitely takes a certain type of individual. Um, I think the, the other thing that's hard is the standards for an entry-level firefighter nationally have gotten much, much harder. Um, when I started firefighter one, which was the entry-level certification course you had to take to become an interior, you know, go inside the burning building firefighter, 
was I want to say 100 hours, 90 hours. Is that level? That's level one going into firefighter a bur- one going into a burning building. That's part of the training. Yeah, in level yeah, you one. Learn, yeah, you learn all the basics, right? That's your that's your entry level course. It's like EMT basics, same concept. Okay. Okay. Um, now it's a 180 hour course. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a big jump. And that's we we just got three three new members of our fire company, younger twenties. Um, who are taking this course and they're doing it nights and weekends and they're going to be losing every Saturday except for two all summer to do the certification course. Wow, that's huge. Do you think that's to the detriment of the department? I think that um, that what has happened is it used to be firefighter one and firefighter two were both about the same amount of time and you took the curriculum and split it across the two. So you got the basics in one and then in two you finished it up and kind of got everything else. As time has progressed, everything is going into firefighter one because they're saying, oh, you got to know this. You got to know this, too. You got to know this. And now what has happened is it. I don't disagree with the fact that it's important skills, but it's to the detriment of getting volunteers in. It's kind of and, push, you know pushing what? them away. It's like it's like too much. And they're just like, wow, I, I can't take on all of that. You feel like go back to smaller steps type of things, like make more certification levels that they have to complete. Yeah. And an organization should have its own structure in it to limit the activities that they can do until they've had that professional certification sign off. Right. Maybe they get fire one and they can't go interior, but they can do everything else outside of the you know building or they can operate the pump or help us with water supply. There's plenty of roles and functions, but the problem is it's such a big hurdle. It's such a big hurdle right off the bat. I'm surprised to hear that actually, because most programs and that I volunteered with that specifically speaking of the zoo where I was at, People volunteer because like, oh, animals, I, you don't work with animals. You, you don't volunteer to do that. There's a thousand other jobs. I mean, from agriculture stuff to guest relation. I mean, there's so much stuff. But the things that where you like get to do certain things, you have to be trained on it. And, but that doesn't mean you can't volunteer still. And they have their right. own uh, tier structure. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, I really hope that they kind of go back to that because I think it would bring more people in. Uh, okay, first of all, awesome. I, I really hope that the program continues where you are and across the country, you know, volunteering and, and with the fire department. But what, when do you have time for yourself and what are you doing when you have that time? Um, so I have a wonderful girlfriend who's in the other room who you saw kind of like pop her head around the corner and go, oh God, he's on the radio thing. I showed her a stirred away. So spend time <laughs> with her. We were on a boat yesterday, which was lovely. Uh, and then, um, were you, you wearing know, your flippy floppies? Yes. Wait, what would be floppies. the acronym for the flippy floppies? <laughs> <laughs> it's F it's M F F M F flip flippy <laughs> flippy floppies. Motherfucker. <laughs> What's up fishes? <laughs> what up fishes? So, um, so cool. And it's, you know, it's funny is my, my fun, my, my, my latest fun hobby. And it's been six years now is the racetrack, right? Doing fire rescue. It's the same thing. Uh, but this time with motorsports, uh, and I, you know, Watkins Glen. And then I was just down in St. Petersburg working, uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix, uh, down there, which was cool. I was in race control sitting next to Ari like and Ari Leyendike and Max Pappas, which was just phenomenal. Um, and then working at, you know, all these different tracks and, uh, Canadian Tire Motorsports, Sebring, and it, that's I love love motorsports since I was born. I think uh, my father's a diehard motorsports fan, and then it got further enabled by Phil and his dad, who actually raced. Um, and we used to go to Lime Rock as kids, and well, kids, teens, and watch him race. And now I get to do it and have the best seat in the house, which is literally on pit road with the drivers and the teams, or on a truck going out on the track and helping them when something goes awry. So I'm, like, I'm going to pretend that I knew all those names and places that, that you said, and I sure, think that's awesome. Yeah, but, uh, but You can look them up. We'll, we'll, we'll have <laughs> but, them in they, the episode They turn other than left at these places. These are road courses predominantly. Yes, so I, I know. Philip's right educating me a little bit on, on all the racing stuff. But I think that's wonderful that at least as long as it's fun to you, right? I, I think that's great because I think we all need that moment where we say, I, I'm doing this because this is my fun. This is where I get well, my joy. What's you your know? favorite sport? What's your favorite sport, Brian? Oh, I, well, I'm a swimmer. Uh, and, and so I love water polo. There's just not a lot of, there's not a large market to watch water polo. Okay. Um, I, I used to be really big into football. You know, that was really big in our family. I, I'm not as big as a sports guy as I used to be. I, I really okay. enjoy it. But, uh, you know, when it comes to the Olympics, I get really into it. I get so super in- into it envision that you were able to do something where you volunteer or even get paid to 
on the side, in addition to your regular job, be able to stand on the 50 yard line of the team that you love or the sport that you love, right. Or be directly engaged in it. That's why I love doing the motorsport stuff. I mean, I'm right in the thick of my favorite sport. <laughs> oh, I would, I'd volunteer for, for crew on, uh, on Broadway. <laughs> If if they if they'd let me, but you know at that point that's a very different type of volunteering situation. That's pure work. So I I think maybe I go back to the sports stuff. You noticed that Russ had the wherewithal to not ask me what my favorite sport was. (laughs) We we've had this conversation. uh, Rock skipping. Why? Hey, anything's a sport now. It's I mean, poker's apparently a sport now. I, and Phil, I, I hope you appreciated the moment when I flipped the interview and started interviewing Brian there that, you know, we're, we're going to keep you on your toes. Here I do like it. I do like it. That's, no, no, I enjoy that. I, I really, I liked being thrown that uh, right back at that's me. That's the whole point of Neighbors Don't Knock. Russ, buddy, listen, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I really, really appreciate that you came on the show to chat with us and to educate our listeners a little bit on what it means to be, you know, in the armed forces, what Memorial Day means to you, what it probably should mean to all of us, and as well as how to volunteer. If you wouldn't mind, I would love to put up in our episode description anything that you can provide in terms of resources for people to look into volunteering their time. Yeah, there's a bunch of national volunteer fire and uh, councils that are out there that'll help you find the department near you. Um, Look, I can't encourage it enough. It's shaped my life. It's shaped who I am. I love doing it. Um, And it's, yeah, it's incredibly rewarding. I I mean, I, I, I... there's nothing more I could encourage people to try. And that's the thing. Try it. If you don't like it, you can just stop doing it. It's okay. But if you've never ex- tried it, you'll never know whether it's something that would have that kind of an impact on you as well. Well, Russ, it was beautiful getting to hear your stories and getting to know you. I, I've heard so much about you, so I'm glad to put a face with a name finally. Yeah, tremendous pleasure. And I really honored that you guys invited me to the show. And, you know, I, I certainly hope that people take this, you know, and, and, and at least try to, you know, first and foremost, remember Memorial Day, remember what it's for, talk about it with people that weekend, and then, you know, try being a volunteer firefighter somewhere. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. There well, we'll go. spread the word. We hope you do too, Russ. And if you ever want to catch new episodes, you can be Friday. Yeah. Peace. Out.